0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store.
1: Good morning, my pleasure to be coming your way today and I trust that all is well and you're enjoying the benefits of life. This is James Beale welcoming you to This Is the Day, a program of practical helps for abundant living originating in the Bethesda Christian Church or at the corner of Metropolitan Parkway and Shader in the good city of Sterling Heights, Michigan. And it is my pleasure to say that the Lord God is good and his mercy endures forever, and also to say that this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice, and we'll be glad in it.
0: How many of you used to listen to him on the radio? See? Everywhere I go, people talk about hearing him on the radio. When you mention the church or you mention his name, they had listened to him. In fact, it's amazing the lives that were touched by this one man which just goes to show that when you're doing the will of the Lord and you love what you're doing, you can bear a lot of fruit. Last week I showed you the Bible that Pastor M.D. Beale used, one of the Bibles she used, from 1934 and how she wrote on it. We showed you the pictures of it all written up as she used it to preach from. Because we're all kind of products of our generation, and she came of course, began in the Depression and was molded in that time period where they didn't waste anything, they didn't do anything different, so she just wrote right on her Bible rather than using notebooks and papers, which they really didn't have. And so that custom kind of stayed with her. Today we have James Lee Beale's Bible, which is up here this time. And you'll notice a little bit difference in this Bible because as time goes on and technology improves and... The generations improved. He was more a product of prosperity that came after the war and, and excitement of change and where the country was going. And so he didn't have to write everything down in the one Bible. He could use a notebook. But it was also the technology of a highlighter that he fell in love with. And when you look at his Bible, you don't see a lot of writing on it but you see a lot of highlighting because he would just take his highlighter pen and then just highlight the parts that were important to him for whatever reason that he was going to do. He not only highlighted the parts of the Bible that he would read, and for him the Bible he read was King James. If you knew him, he knew he could quote it a lot. But when he was ready to speak, he would write it out in notes. He would... Not write it on the Bible, but actually use notes. At the beginning, he would type them all out. And as he used them over, he would write little notes with his pen on them. And he just was so logical in what he wrote that you can look at these notes today. We have stacks of them from all of the messages that he gave. And you can almost preach from them today because they're very clear. But he even loved to highlight his notes because he just liked that highlighter. I told him once, I said, you know, the highlighter is supposed to just highlight the important parts of what you're going to say so you don't forget it. I said, when you highlight everything, uh, the, how do you know what's important? And his answer was always, everything I say is going to be important. <laughs> it's all important. He would get through it. But he had, he had one, he had beautiful handwriting a trait that was not passed down through the generations. <laughs> and he could write notes, he would keep notes for everything that he spoke. Spoke on Sunday mornings, Wednesday night series, the radio series, uh, and you can still read them today as they were so logical. But as we've talked about the radio and the change that came as he began to be part of the radio broadcast, at the beginning When M.D. Beale went on the radio, it was always live because the technology at that point, you had to have a live program. So it was really kind of like a service that they would have while she was on the radio. But then the technology changed, and you didn't have to do the program live. You could tape it. And because you could tape it, then they could use it at any point in time of the day. You didn't have to be there at the time you were going to be on the radio. And that meant you could also send the tape to other radio stations. And so eventually he went national with his radio program and you could hear him in cities all over this country. And he began to write radio booklets as well so that if you listened to him you could write in for whatever the topic was for that month and he would send you the booklet. I'm sure some of you have some of those booklets as they became instrumental uh, in a great deal of correspondence over the years from people across the nation. And they didn't just listen to him on the radio. He became an international speaker as well, as he would go not only across this country holding meetings, but he would go to Africa, he would go to Japan, he would go to Australia, Europe. He preached in many, many different places. And as he saw the need and as he began to study the truth of the word of God, He began to write about it, not just in pamphlets and not just in notes, but he put it together in books as well. Some of you, I'm sure, have his books. As he moved on to put a lot of those radio booklets together, but also to put messages together to teach the next generation the truths of the Word of God. He was laying the foundation for our Catechism II class. Catechism III was security, confidence, and peace that he offered. He talked about the Holy Spirit. He talked about fasting. He talked about many, many different topics and would put it in book form that he could take with them and he could impact people far beyond anything that he would do just in this church. He made an impression. And from his books, he became such a renowned speaker that people wanted to hear the truth that he would be teaching And he became part of Bible schools and would actually teach pastors, upcoming uh, wannabe pastors, the truth of the Word of God, as he did workshops and teaching both here in this Bible Institute but uh, in others as well because he understood the Word of God in a unique and different way and could tell it to different people. As they put the Spirit Life Bible together to sell, he was one of the co-authors, of that Bible and did one of the uh, chapters for some of the books in that Bible. And if you ever pick up the Spirit Life Bible, you'll see him in there and see the books that he wrote about, Second Timothy and Titus. That's his commentary that's part of that Bible. Because as he learned truth and as he began to teach the truth, he became not only a pastor here, but he became a pastor to pastors. There isn't anywhere I go to any meetings that I have been in over the last decade that once they find out where you're from and that you knew James Beale, that they don't have a story to tell about him. Because particularly a lot of group of pastors that are pastoring today were mentored by him when they were young. He was very involved Uh, with people that came out of the Jesus movement back in the 70s and began to mentor them and how to structure a church and how to take the word of God to their congregations and make an impact. And they still talk about the things that he said to them, the encouragement that he would give. He would write them notes. He always knew their name. And that was one of the big impressions all of them would always have, is he always knew my name. And they would come here for a convention and say they weren't one of the speakers, they weren't well-known, they weren't anybody important. But that didn't matter to James Beale. He would talk to them anyway. He would learn their name, whether you were important or unimportant. You mattered to him. He was a people person. And if you ever knew him, uh, you just knew that. And so his impact, his legacy, really has continued Because he still talked about much today. For the impact he made, the books that he's written, the pamphlets that he had. And still, you can go places like Barry just shared, and people will say, boy, I used to listen to him on the radio. When he was on the radio, everywhere we went, he'd be talking, and and someone would invariably stop and say, I recognize your voice. I heard you on the radio. They used to drive me nuts as a kid. You know, that everybody would just stop and stop talking to you. Total strangers just start talking to you. I recognize your voice. And invariably, after they would say that, the next thing out of their mouth would be, you don't look like I thought you would look. (laughs) And I always wanted to ask them, what do you think he looked like? You know, because obviously you knew what he looked like, but, you know, did you think he was short? You know, did you, what did you think? But they never thought his voice matched who he looked like, and I thought his voice matched him perfect, but then I always knew it. But people would stop him, and he would always talk. didn't matter who you were or what you were about, he would stop and talk to you if you wanted to talk to him. But for all the impact he made and all of the direction he went, you didn't have to know him much to know that his greatest love, where his heart truly was, was here in this church. He never wanted to be a pastor to the greater country, though he would answer the call that God put on his heart. But he wanted to be a pastor to this flock. This was the place that had the people that he loved. This was the place where he could minister most effectively. These were the people that he got involved with the most. Because he understood that to be a pastor of a church was to be like a shepherd. And to be a person that was involved with people. And to help shape the course of their lives. So that they could become all that God had wanted them to be. That was the mission that he was on. He would write a book about shepherding. That's one of the books that would make such an impact on people that would be ministers in other congregations. Because he saw a pastor as a shepherd. And that's sort of what we want to talk about this morning. What it means to shepherd God's people. To understand what it is that we're called to do. That as we continue to teach the truth to every generation, we teach it in a way that shows the heart of Jesus Christ for his people and our heart for his people as well. If you have your Bibles, you can take them with me this morning and turn to John chapter 10, where John uses that metaphor of the great shepherd, of a shepherd, to explain our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the metaphor Jesus himself used to talk about himself, that he would be the great shepherd, and to illustrate what good leadership is all about and what the heart of a shepherd is all about. If you go back to the Old Testament in Ezekiel, Ezekiel would bring a statement of woe against the shepherds of Israel for their failure to tend the flock well, for their failure to do what they were supposed to do. But Ezekiel looked forward to the day that we would have the illustration of what a true shepherd is all about and what the heart of a shepherd is all about. So John 10 begins this way. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. He was giving them the illustration of a shepherd and saying that the sheep and the shepherd have a unique relationship. We don't know a lot about sheep today because most of us don't have any sheep and we really don't have an occasion to get too involved with sheep. And so we've just been to a petting zoo or we've seen pictures of sheep. Uh, but when you read about them and particularly the customs uh, back in Jesus' day, you see that when a lot of shepherds would come to town for either religious festivals or whatever to sell the sheep or whatever the point was, they would all put the sheep together in one big pen. They didn't have a lot of individual places for each shepherd to have his own sheep, so they just put all the sheep together. And it didn't matter because the sheep could all stay in the pen together and uh, they could enjoy themselves while the shepherd was out doing whatever he was doing. But then when the shepherd came to get his sheep to take them out of that pen, he would go to the gate. There was one person watching all the sheep. And he would be recognized as the shepherd because he came to the gate. And then when he wanted his sheep to come to him, all he had to do was begin to call them because the sheep would always recognize his voice. Sheep don't have to be branded like you brand cattle. Now, if you don't put a brand on cattle after a while, you don't know whose cattle is who use. And so uh, to, to make sure you know who they belong to, you have to make sure that they're branded so nobody's confused. You don't have to brand sheep because the sheep know who they belong to. Because when they hear the voice of their shepherd, they follow that voice. So the shepherd could come to the gate, call out his sheep, and all his sheep would follow him. The other sheep would stay there because they didn't recognize that voice. And they'd wait for their own shepherd to come. You can't get sheep to follow you unless they recognize your voice. That's why he said anybody that wants to get a sheep and have the sheep go with them is going to have to be a thief or a robber because they're going to have to steal the sheep because the sheep on its own isn't going to follow them. So you just have to take it. But he said the relationship between a shepherd and the sheep is the relationship that we will have with God our Father. That we know his voice. We know the truth when we hear the truth. Because we are connected to Jesus Christ and the truth. Pharisees really didn't get what he was talking about when he said that. And so he began to explain it in a little bit more depth as he goes on, verse 7. It says, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. When Jesus said that, if you keep reading that chapter, you'll find he got all the Pharisees upset and mad. They, they just couldn't believe that he would say what he said. Because they were beginning to understand that when he called himself the good shepherd, he was saying he was the fulfillment of what had been prophesied in the Old Testament. That he was the Messiah, he was God. And he proved it by the attitude he had for the sheep. Because what would it take to be a good shepherd? What was Jesus trying to tell them here as to what a person should look for? And what he would be? as an illustration of that shepherd. He said, well, a good shepherd is willing to sacrifice, even willing to go so far as to lay down his life for the sheep. That's a sacrifice. And that was the sacrifice Jesus was willing to make. You know, sometimes when we think about shepherds, we kind of think, that's not really such a difficult job. You can get a picture in your mind about, you know, all the sheep grazing on the hill and the shepherd's kind of sitting underneath a tree just watching them eat their grass and, you know, just got a staff in his hand. And at the end of the day, they'll just all walk back to, to the sheep pen and he'll put him there. And, you know, it just seems like kind of an idyllic life. But it's actually really hard to be a shepherd because a shepherd really has to be tough. And has to be able to handle a lot of problems. Think of of David, the great king from the Old Testament. Even as a boy, he says he had to fight a lion. He had to fight a bear. He had to to make sure that nothing harmed the sheep. He had, even as a kid, had to get involved in the protection of his sheep. and, And make sure that nothing would harm them. He was willing to risk his life, even back then. Because it's not easy. Sometimes sheep wander off and they get lost in the craziest places. You'd have to climb down cliffs and you'd have to go out on ledges to rescue them. And uh, It was never easy. You had to kind of take your own life in your hands. Sheep would get sick. Sheep would do crazy things. You were always having to be invested in making sure they were all right and doing what they needed to do. But Jesus said you could tell. The difference between a shepherd and a hired hand by that willingness to care for the sheep. To be willing to lay down your life. Because a hired hand won't do that. When he sees a wolf coming, he sees a lion coming, he sees any kind, ready to attack the sheep, he'll just say, oh, go ahead and have him. Because he's going to run. He's not going to risk his life over some sheep. He doesn't see the sheep as being that important. But Jesus saw the sheep, or people, as so very important that he was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. He was willing to rescue them from the wolves that were at the door, which for Jesus was to rescue us from Satan, that Satan would attack us, Satan would bring us to death, and death was always a certainty for all of us. But eternal life was possible because Jesus was willing To go to a cross. The great example of love that he showed us. Willing to lay down your life for people. People that didn't deserve it. People that didn't even understand. But they would come to know that through Jesus Christ they would have life. And life more abundantly. But he just wasn't willing to lay down his life. The good shepherd, it says, also knew his sheep and the sheep knew him. In other words, he had a relationship with his sheep. And when we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior, when he takes away our sin, he not only justifies us and gives us eternal life, but he reconciles us to God. He heals the breach that was there between us and God so that we can restore that fellowship that was so broken and we can have conversations with the Lord know that Jesus hears us, know that he understands us because he knows us by name. He intervenes in our problems. He knows our frustrations. He knows everything that we're going through because he knows us. Think of Psalm 23 that we hear repeated so much, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what he's talking about. Uh, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me by the still waters. His rod and staff comfort me. The whole psalm is about the care of our shepherd and the relationship we have with him because he loves us, he watches over us, and he cares for us. But Jesus doesn't know us, just know us. We can know him as well. He's given us his word so we can know how to live, so we can be blessed people so we can do according to his calling and make an impact in this world. Jesus came as the great shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and brought us salvation and eternal life. And then he said, as he's the great shepherd, he wants us to follow his example in the way we interact with people as well. And so after his resurrection, just before his ascension, The book of John records a conversation that Jesus had with Peter where he talks about sheep as well and tells Peter that he wants him to go and be a shepherd just as Jesus was a shepherd to Peter. Peter's to be a shepherd to other people as well. In John 21, verse 15, it reads this way. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, less, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, that's what it's all about, taking care of God's people. And not only did Jesus want Peter to have the heart of a shepherd, to have the heart that Jesus had for people, he was really calling all the apostles and eventually all of us to have that kind of heart for people where we see people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. We see their need. We see the need for salvation. We see the need for the truth. We see the need to teach them the word of God so that they can be delivered from anything that's holding them. They can be different uh, in life than whatever their past had had done to them, that he could heal the brokenhearted, set the captive free. And we are all called in our own way to be shepherds, because we're all leaders of different degrees. If nothing else, we lead our families. And so we shepherd our families, willing to lay down our lives for them, willing to teach them the truth, willing to discipline them, because we know that's what it takes if we truly love them, so that they can become all that they could be. Here in the church, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or department head or in a ministry group or staff ministers, the missions program, wherever it is that you're involved. You're not just involved to be the person that you want to be. You're involved to feed the sheep. You're involved to make a difference in the lives of people because that's why we're here. That's what it's all about. To take the lambs, to take the new converts, to take those who are... Unaware of the truth and teach them the truth. To help them through their difficulties, to to bind up the wounds, to put their feet on a new path and show them the love of Jesus Christ. He says to take care of his sheep, to help them, to comfort, to be there to counsel, to do whatever we need to do to help people get through the difficulties of life. And then we even feed the sheep as well as the lambs which means we're always growing. Our prayer lives should be always evolving. Our knowledge of the word should be ever growing because we feed each other as well as we talk about what Jesus has done for us, as we share the word together, as we study the word together because we are shepherds, under shepherds of Jesus Christ to care for the sheep and to help the sheep. James Beale loved the sheep. And you were his sheep. This was his pasture. And he loved the truth of the word of God. And so he was always either writing or explaining or teaching that truth. Because he knew if we would grasp hold of truth, if we would understand what the Bible is actually telling us to do, that life would be so much better and we would be so much blessed. But he knew truth doesn't come from just one person. It takes all of us in our own understanding to reach all kinds of different people. And together, we can make such an impact with people because we understand truth and we understand our own difficulties in life and how the truth helps us so that when we begin to talk to people, we can share our stories, we can share the truth we learned and bring them to an understanding of Jesus and how he loves them in a way that you can't always get when you stand up on the platform. We have an audio clip of him talking to some adult teachers in an adult uh, meeting for the Sunday school teachers where he talks about truth and the necessity of each and every one of them being able to shepherd people with that truth. Let's listen to it now.
1: We must always understand no matter what truth is taught, It cannot be taught by just one person and be accepted by the overall community. God designed the human and designed all teaching that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. One plants, another waters, and God in his own way gives the increase. It is impossible in total year, say, to preach 40, 50 times to deal with all of the truth in the Bible. That's why I would like to see many of you teachers perhaps teaching one truth, really understanding the truth of healing, another understanding the truth of giving, another, the the whole discipling situation, until with your materials you are so efficient that the word gets around and people are gravitating to your class, maybe just for a period, but they're getting that information, which is so vital.
0: Working together telling the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the Word of God. When we grasp hold of how all of us fit together to be able to teach that truth, that's when we begin to make an impact. But all of us are products of our own generations. And while Pastor Beale started in a time of prosperity through the 50s and uh, the end of the war, the Great War, and people beginning to start their families and get excited for the future. The technology was beginning to take off and people were beginning to own homes in a way they had never had before. Things were going along well. But then came a great cultural shift in this nation. If you lived through it, you know what I'm talking about. If you're too young to have been around then, you've probably seen it or read about it or... Your result of it, but in the '60s and '70s, we had a cultural revolution in this country that is usually identified by pictures of hippies walking around with their long hair and bell-bottom jeans that challenged authority. They did not want to follow the rules of the previous generation or any generations before them, and so they began to challenge. Everything. It became a time of great social unrest, a lot of things happening, a great challenge against the authority of the government, particularly involved in the war, the war in Vietnam. Today, on Memorial Day, when we remember our veterans, I don't care how many Memorial Days we have, we will never be able to erase what we did to the veterans of the Vietnam War. At that time. (laughs) We thought we knew so much. Thought you could challenge authority and make the world better. Only to find out sometimes you really didn't know what you were doing. But they challenged the social mores that we had as well. The theme became love. All you need is love. We didn't need a a piece of paper to tell us we love each other. We don't need to get married in order to stay together. We will stay together because our love will be enough. So we didn't get married, but found out that you didn't stay together very long when you don't have a marriage license. And certainly we didn't need religion, particularly organized religion and denominational religion. Because we were going to find our own god, make our own way, our own destiny. And so the age of Aquarius dawned. We went after the Eastern religions, went after the pagan types, because it was going to be all about the way we felt and all about who we are. And so the nation began to go in a different direction, and things began to change. And the church didn't really know what to do with it, because they had never been challenged like that before. They had never seen a generation rise up and just say, we don't want any of this. Sometimes they handled it well, sometimes they didn't. God's still in control, though. And even as the great rebellion of the hippies went forth, the Jesus Revolution would come in in the late 70s and sweep them all into the church. But not everybody in the church was ready for them to be swept in. A lot of them wanted to sweep them right out again. Because they didn't dress right, they didn't talk right, they didn't look right. But that challenge to authority, that sense of independence that began to sweep the nation, unfortunately began to seep into the church as well. I get letters and we had a lot of correspondence from people as we were looking forward to today from different pastors Uh, that wrote and were influenced by him, people I've talked to. And Tim Forstoff wrote one that not only did I remember, he remembered as well. And talking from that book Shepherd and Sheep and what it meant to be a shepherd and what Pastor James impressed on him and what he had learned through that turbulent time as he came out of it was problem sheep. He said you have to be aware of the kind of sheep that can develop he said, some of them are called fence sheep. That means the minute they saw a fence, they wanted to jump over it. So they were always jumping into green, greener pastures. It was always going to be better somewhere else than wherever they were. They were not content to stay under authority. So they'd had a thousand instructors, but no shepherd because they wouldn't sit still long enough to learn anything. They always wanted to hear the latest and the greatest, see what was going on somewhere else, always jumping a fence. He said other people he called loner sheep, which rebelled against authority in a different way. They just didn't want to be involved. Never enter into the life of the church. Come and sit on Sunday morning. They could be here for years. Nobody would know their name because they never really did anything never wanted to be a part of a ministry, never wanted to be involved with people, just wanted to come and soak up for themselves whatever was being said, but didn't see people as anything that they actually needed. And in the third group he called the maverick sheep. These were the strong-willed, independent ones who just refused to come under authority because they were going to do it their way. And they didn't care what the direction of the church was They had their own little group and their own little uh, people that they could not just shepherd, but control, really, to listen to them instead of the one that was the true shepherd. But when you don't come under authority and when you get to be one of those kind of sheep, according to Jesus, you're no longer a shepherd. Now you're a thief, a robber, or a wolf. Because now you've come to hurt the sheep. You're not there to care for the sheep. And the difficulty of his ministry in the last years of his life was to watch the thieves and the robbers and the wolves steal his sheep. People that he had cared for. People that he had spent so much time with. People that he had gone to visit in their darkest hour to pray with, to help, to counsel. People he had given his life for suddenly were being snatched away by maverick sheep and fence sheep and loner sheep who didn't want to come under authority themselves and didn't want the sheep to come under authority as well. He watched as in a moment of time, people who had taught Sunday school classes for years and years, even decades, walk in one Sunday, and just say, I'm out of here, and just leave. No word, no warning, no help for the sheep, but just disappear. They cared nothing for the sheep they left behind, the brokenhearted, the confused, the upset. They caused the upset but didn't seem to care about the aftermath. And then they kept with the gossip, And the lies and the continual trying to get the sheep to leave. Because it became about them instead of Jesus Christ. He wasn't upset because personally he had lost anything. Because a good shepherd knows it's not easy to shepherd. But he was upset because they hurt the sheep. That they left people behind confused, broken hearted upset. And when you hurt a shepherd's sheep, the shepherd is not happy. Jesus called them wolves. He called them thieves. He called them robbers. Because he knew that as Jesus Christ was the shepherd of the sheep, that Satan would always try to divide. He would always try to ruin what Jesus was doing. And that upsets Jesus, and it should upset all of us who are involved with people and want them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But James Beale understood, as all good shepherds understand, we do identify with Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as the great shepherd, was betrayed as well. He suffered as well, his sheep were scattered. And when he called him back, it took laying down his life in order for us to have abundant life. Because the only way he could conquer Satan was to conquer death. And he did that because he loved us. He laid down his life for us. Last week we talked about mustard seed faith. That no matter how small the seed is, it's not the size of the seed that matters, it's the growth and the explosion of faith. And the importance of faith in what we need. And we have that seed, that seed of faith that we plant. Because we're coming into a new season. We're coming into a season of spring. And we know that we have to plant that seed of faith. And it takes work in order to have anything grow. You have to pull up the weeds. You have to till the soil. You have to get involved in making sure everything is the way it should be because spring is a lot of work if you're actually going to have anything by the next season. But no matter how good the seed is, no matter how much work you put into it to plant it in the right soil, no matter how much investment you make, in the land or anything else that you do, all the work you put in, you can't make it grow unless it rains. When you're in a drought, nothing grows. But the problem with rain is we don't control the rain. And that's the problem with rain, is we don't control it. Don't you just love to control things? you like to know what the seed is. I can plant that seed if I know what it is. I can have faith for the impossible. I can work. I can get out there. I know what to do. I know what ministry to be involved in. I can do all the work. But that rain part, how do you make it rain? If you were here last week, I hope you began to see that the rain is coming. That when Jesus, in his time, brings the rain, it begins to fall and things begin to grow. Spring is always the time of the most rain. Because if the rain doesn't come, nothing's going to really grow later. And what is that rain? It is the rain of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming into our lives, guiding and directing us being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God so that we can be the shepherds that he's called us to be. When I was reading, not only for last week and the week before, what was written by our various pastors, there's an old latter rain evangel that M.D. Beale wrote, I think in, in the middle 50s. And she has a whole article there lamenting that nobody cares about the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore. Now this is just in the middle of this great revival, and I'm reading this going, what is she talking about? Nobody cares about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She should be around right now. She wants to see people that don't care about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But for her, people were getting away from that. Because we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And these are the times of rain For the Holy Spirit to fill us. And so as last week we came to ask God to show us the impossible and help us. I think we would be remiss if in the times of rain we didn't absorb all the rain we could get. And so I want to invite you this morning to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come this morning and begin to worship and ask the Lord to fill you to overflowing so you can speak in languages that you've never been given before. Pastor Visker talked yesterday at the prayer meeting about someone that came into his office this week and was filled with the Holy Spirit because they desired it. If you desire it, the rain is here. If If you do pray that way, come on down and be an encouragement to others and say, Lord, I want the heart of a shepherd. I want to be involved with your people. And I know to do that, I need your Holy Spirit to give me that love, to give me that understanding, to give me all that we need. So won't you stand? And let's come this morning. And let's just have the reign of the Holy Spirit once again fall on us as we worship, as we pray together, as we call upon his name and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. It is so good to be in the presence of the Lord. To be here in times of rain. To be refreshed. To know that his spirit leads us. Because it is the spirit of truth. When we talk about sheep and shepherds, you need a good shepherd. But you also need good sheep. I was reading about Bedouin's sheep this week. Overseas, where the Bedouins keep, keep the herds together. The good shepherd looks for his best and most loyal sheep, the one who listens to his voice every time he calls, the one who has no problems doing what he's supposed to do. And he ties a bell around the neck of that sheep. And when he calls the sheep out of the sheep pen, to to make their way to a new pasture. The shepherd stands at the door and lets all the sheep go out. And he's kind of at the back of the flock, pushing them forward. And he lets that sheep that has the bell go first. Because he knows that sheep won't lead the other sheep astray. That sheep will listen to the voice of the shepherd. And so when the shepherd says, turn right, he turns right. When he says, turn left, he turns left. He will go where the shepherd directs him. We need to be a congregation of those kind of sheep that listen to the voice of our shepherd who listens to the voice of the great shepherd and takes us to the pastures where we need to be. Because the pastures are very different. You used to be able to just take the sheep to the pasture and they would feed themselves because once you got to good grass they would just start eating that works for sheep that are regular sheep but that doesn't work for handicapped sheep sheep that are so broken sheep that are so upset that they can't eat themselves and this harvest the shepherds were going to need for this next generation need to be able to feed the sheep in a whole different way because they've come and they can't feed themselves anymore. They don't even know what they're looking for anymore. And it's gonna take a true shepherd's heart to deal with them because they frustrate you, they upset you, they're so needy. But if we have the heart of the great shepherd that we will be able to handle the problems, not because we're such loving people, but because we're full of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the wisdom and the direction he needs. We want to close this morning. Amen. Amen. Singing one of James Lee Beale's favorite hymns, because he called this the pastor's hymn, the shepherd's hymn, if we want to say it that That's the story of Jesus Christ. He loved to tell the story. The verse of this says, will be my theme in glory. He's in glory now. So I assume he's really telling the story up there. A lot of other people tell him stories too. Because he loved to tell stories. He tells them all the time. But this is the best story. The story of Jesus and his love. Tell someone that story this week. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the harvest that people that need to hear that story and tell it to them. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what this weekend represents, not just the sacrifice of so many that laid down their lives for our freedoms in this country, but Lord, the sacrifice that you made in laying down your life for us What a story. We never get tired of telling how you loved us. And may we take that story to a world that needs to hear it. Bless us now. Keep us this weekend. Those that are away returning, keep them safe. And we just thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.